Hello, and welcome back to Constant Chaos with Rachel and Christy. Hi, everyone. Hey, things are a little bit more chaotic today than most days. We're all separated in our respective houses, trying to stay safe and healthy. But we have the privilege of talking today to the ADHD dude, Ryan Wexelblatt. All right. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. So my name is Ryan Wexelblatt. I'm the ADHD dude. Um, I am a licensed clinical social worker and a school social worker. And I also have a coaching practice uh, called ADHD Dude Coaching and Programs, where I work with kids as well as parents. Um, in addition, I have a YouTube channel called ADHD Dude, where I create content for parents as well as kids and a Facebook group. And I also create content for Attitude Magazine's ADHD and Boys section as well. Great, and so how did you get into this? Yeah, so I got into this, I'll give you the short version. Um, I've been working in special ed since I graduated from graduate school. And for many years, um, I was specializing in ADHD, Asperger's and higher verbal autism. And over time, what I came to realize was that there was really nothing specific out there or very little out there specifically for kids with ADHD. So I kind of shifted away from the autism field and just started focusing on ADHD um, because I saw that there was such this need that wasn't being met in the community where I'm from. I'm from the Philadelphia area originally, and I live in the Atlantic City, New Jersey area now. Um, so that's how I came to specialize in ADHD. All right, great. Are you, uh, you still there? I'm here. Oh, okay. We're just trying to yeah. get you to all this, this connection here. Um, yeah. So talk a little bit about um, the age group and how people tend to find you. Yeah. So most of the guys I work with are between 11 and 15, so approximately fifth grade to ninth grade. Um, for younger kids, I won't work with them online. Most of the kids I do work with now online, and, and I do half-hour sessions. But for younger kids, I want to see them in person. So I'll still do local appointments. Um, and then I also work with some uh, high school-age guys as well and, you know, a few college-age guys. Okay. So, and are you doing this full-time? Well, I still work at a school full time. So this is kind of my, yeah, my, my, my side hustle, I'll call it. Um, and I also have a camp in the summer called Summer Trip Camp uh, for boys with ADHD, um, where kids come here to Margate, New Jersey. And we, uh, you know, learn and work on all these skills that, that I'm teaching and then kind of apply it, uh, give it a practical application by going out during the day and doing different trips every day. That sounds fun. Yeah. Super cool. And so only boys. Just boys, yeah. And how come? Yeah, so it was never my intention to work specifically with boys. The way this actually got started was um, I, I started a, a group on Saturdays uh, called How to Hang Out. Because I really don't believe, yeah, I really don't believe in typical social skill, or I should say traditional social skills groups. So when I did this how to hang out group, I just made it for boys because if you don't make it, you know, for one gender, what you tend to find in the ADHD world is you'll get like eight boys and one girl. And I didn't think that would be comfortable or helpful for girls to be, you know, one, have one or two girls and all these boys. So I just kind of marketed it as for boys. And I found that it really resonated with all these mothers. So one, having a guy teach us stuff, but also doing something that was boy specific. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So, um, so do these boys want to come to you or is it a forced thing? Totally. Cause I know my kids have done social skills classes before my younger one, especially, and he hated going. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I will tell you, most of the guys I work with have had um, less than positive experiences in therapy and social skills groups. And, you know, really kind of my big mission in life is I want to move ADHD out of the mental health field and move it away from being, you know, a psychological disorder or a mental health issue, because I don't believe it's a mental health issue. I believe it's a learning issue. You know, if you have ADHD, you have lagging skills in the area of you know, possibly social skills, executive functioning, emotional regulation. So what I have to really do, because so many of the guys I worked with have had these experiences where they're sitting across from a therapist expected to sit still while somebody asks them how they're feeling week after week. <laughs> so, you know, the first thing I do is I explain what I do and how it's not therapy. And I'm not going to ask them how they're feeling week after week. Not that I don't care about how they're feeling, but, you know, that's not what I do. But most importantly, what I do is I give them a definition of ADHD because I find 99% of the time, the guys I work with, nobody has ever explained ADHD in a way to them that's relatable or meaningful to them. 
So can you tell us how you describe it? I'm just, maybe I can get some tips on how I tell my kids that they have it. Yeah. So, yeah. So I described, you know, the, the, the prefrontal cortex, which controls executive functioning. And I, the, my, the, the way I kind of say it is that, you know, every part of you is, let's say you're 11, you know, so every part of you is 11 and all parts of your brain are 11, but your prefrontal cortex or your frontal lobe is developing a few years behind the rest of your brain. So it'll catch up, but for right now, just that part of your brain is kind of, you know, like more like eight or nine. And then the analogy I give them is I say, imagine if you were trying to play, you know, Minecraft or Fortnite on a computer from, you know, 2016. I say it would work, but because of all the updates, you know, it might be a little bit glitchy. And that's what you have to kind of think of, you know, your brain as. So all of your brain is, you know, in 2020, but just that one part of your brain is still kind of, you know, it's a 2016 operating system. That is, that's a great analogy. I thought about like with one, of, with one of my kids, like I would always describe him before we knew that he had ADHD. Like he just seems younger. He just doesn't get it the way that other boys do. Right. Right, exactly. Um, and in terms of, you know, the social stuff, what, you know, I think really what, what makes it easy for kids to come to my programs is that, you know, we're not sitting around a table role playing scripted behaviors or learning overly formal etiquette, which is what I find most social skills groups are. Um, you know, we're learning concepts and then we're hanging out, we're going out, you know, we're doing stuff. So the whole idea of it is really, you know, I want to intervene as little as possible. I want to teach concepts and then just kind of reinforce things in the moment because that's, in my experience, really how kids with ADHD learn best. You know, they have lagging future thinking skills, right? So the ability to picture things coming up in the future and they often have difficulty applying past information to the present unless there's a strong emotion attached to it. So I really want to be able to have a very practical application for the concepts that I'm teaching. So can you give us like an example of something like the way you would teach something? Yeah. So basically, you know, if somebody struggles socially, what I say is they have a social executive functioning issue. So for most kids, what that starts with is difficulty with perspective taking. So understanding others' thoughts and feelings, but also understanding how they can come across to others. So for instance, you know, if your son tends to talk at people and give them lots of information about things, you know, he's doing that because he's not thinking about the other person's interest level, you know, or thinking about could they be bored or what do I do to keep them engaged? You know, or if, you know, a kid doesn't really show an interest in others, but he's socially motivated, you know, that might be because he's not, you know, he's not really thinking and having an internal dialogue with himself. And for, by the way, for kids, I call their internal dialogue, I call it your brain coach. So, you know, their brain coach might not be saying, hey, you have to talk about these things that this kid likes talking about, or you have to ask him questions about things because that's how you show somebody that you're interested in them or you want to be friends. So those are really kind of the, the things that I teach. But I should have started by this. One of the things I preface everything with is I say that, you know, kids want to be friends with you, okay? And if you've had social experiences in the past that haven't worked out, okay, it doesn't mean anything's wrong with you. It just means that your brain needs to get better at some stuff. And the stuff that your brain needs to get better at is not things we teach in school, or I really should say we don't do a good job teaching in school. <laughs> so does the label ADHD even really matter do you, I mean, I know you use it as part of, of, you know, being the ADHD dude, but I always kind of wonder, like, it's, it's not really, we've labeled this, but really it's a wiring issue in their brain and a developmental issue potentially, right? It, it is. And I'll tell you why I think it does matter. Cause I find for the guys I work with, it creates a commonality amongst them, you know? So, you know, I don't, I, you know, I do talk about ADHD in the context of, you know, this is just a description of how your brain works. It's not your identity. It's not who you are. It's not, it doesn't have anything to do with, you know, what kind of job you're going to have when, when you're older necessarily. But I find that it's, it, it helps them to realize, oh, other guys are kind of experiencing the same things I am, you know, I'm experiencing, or they've had the same struggles that I've had. And, you know, particularly, I want to tell you what I find that most with is social anxiety, because a lot of boys with ADHD, um, they tend to, some, you know, already had their, you know, already have anxiety, but I see a lot of guys develop social anxiety in high school. And one of the things I just want to mention is that social anxiety is very often mistaken for difficulty with social skills, but they are two completely different things. 
Ooh, explain that. Yeah. Okay, so if somebody has trouble learning social information intuitively, they have what we call a social learning challenge. Um, that's a term I learned from Michelle Garcia Winner, who created social thinking. Um, they're based uh, near you guys in, in San Jose, um, mm -hmm. or Santa Clara now, I think. Um, and really, you know, if you have difficulty learning information socially, it's because that hasn't developed from a young age. Whereas if you have social anxiety, you know, you're overly worried about what other thoughts about you are going to be. So I, what I found is that, you know, people in the mental health field, they really get no training or education in social learning challenges. So they often mistake social anxiety for social learning challenges, but they are two separate things and have to be treated in two different ways. Hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting. So how do these boys, so they come to you and they're different ages. Are they receptive, excited? Do you, does it take a lot to win them over? Because I know we've done some social skill stuff and it was not, it didn't go well and it was not fun for anybody. <laughs> yeah, well, here's, here's, you know, here's what I have to say is that almost every kid I've seen, particularly for the guys in middle school age or older, they've had negative experiences in therapy. You know, their experience has been often going to multiple therapists and basically sitting across from somebody asking them how they're feeling or kind of giving them this very kind of, you know, um, academic explanation of ADHD that doesn't really have much relevance to their daily life. So, you know, that's the first thing I want to do is I want to kind of give this, you know, some, some meaning. Um, and the other thing I want to do is kind of explain that, you know, this is not going to be like your previous experiences. And for when the kids come to my programs, I think what they, you know, whether it's camp or the programs I do during the school year, I think they see right away, this is not going to be like their typical social skills group they've been in where, you know, it's a sitting around a table and, you know, a nice lady is, is kind of prompting them to, you know, be overly formal <laughs> with, you know, with, uh, with etiquette and manner. Right. Yeah. Learning, the right, learning the right way to be when that's, that's, that's not what they need to be learning. Right. Right. So, so what's your, like, so what's the um, outcome that you're looking for for these kids and how long does that typically take? Yeah. So what I explain to parents is that, you know, that what I call the learning social process, it's a really slow process and you're going to see improvements over time. You know, so what I tell people is there, if they say, how long does this take? And I've, I say, like, let's say, for instance, you have a 12 year old. If your 12 year old didn't develop these skills intuitively in 12 years, they're not going to develop them in three months. It's going to take longer than that. But what I'm looking for and what I try to do is give kids language and give them a context to help them develop self-directed talk and learn how to improve their perspective taking skills and situational awareness um, and using humor appropriately and you know, being able to relate to others' emotional experiences and to think about others. So really kind of the bigger thing is I want kids to learn how to make themselves more endearing to other kids um, you know, in, in whatever that looks like for them in particular. So like, what's the extreme, what are the extremes? Like what's sort of, um, the, I guess the best case scenario of a kid that's come to you and what's the worst case? Like what's that range look like? Yeah, I would say, you know, it's interesting because a lot of times if I see kids when they're high school age, I find that at high school age, if, you know, I, I'd say actually above ninth grade, so around 16 and up, if they don't want the help, they're not going to be receptive to this. And unfortunately, so many of these guys have had so many negative experiences with, with help before that wasn't helpful that they kind of become disillusioned and don't really buy into it. That's kind of the worst case scenario. Mm -hmm. The best case scenario for me is when a mom emails me and says, you know, um, you know, Ryan, or I'll, I'll use a different name, not to confuse it, that Josh, you know, uh, said, you know, said today that he was being an information informer, yeah. he caught himself and he, you know, changed kind of the way he was, you know, talking and communicating because he wanted, right, to show other kids that he was thinking about them as well. So that's really what I look for is when parents share feedback with me or teachers share feedback with parents, um, you know, because I don't always get a lot of feedback from kids. It's really what I'm looking for is, is from parents and, and teachers. So if I'm a kid, you know, in this process, I'm going to, after spending time with you or going, going through it, I'm going to be able to walk away and start that. I'm going to have that internal awareness in my brain now when I'm talking to people like the, it's going to be like cues and reminders of, okay, what's this person thinking? Or I want them to like me. So I should be more agreeable or interested in what they're saying. Are those, that's what you're trying to do is ingrain that in their thinking. Like yeah, so, questions but, and things. 
Yeah. So think about this. You know, we, we often talk about social skills, but really what needs to happen is we have to help kids learn how to think in a social context and then apply social skills relevant to the situation. So, you know, just to kind of give you a comparison, when you go to most social skills groups, you know, what it is, it's turn taking, sharing, you know, um, giving a compliment, which, by the way, often breaks a hidden rule of male male social communication if you give a compliment to another boy at the wrong time. Um, <laughs> You know, so so one is I want them to have context for understanding how their brain works. Two, I want them to develop an awareness of their self-directed talk or what I call their brain coach. You know, and and three, I want them to understand that they are you know capable and worthy of of having meaningful friendships. You know, if they're willing to work on these things and and you know work on getting better at thinking about others' thoughts or becoming more flexible or you know using what I call emotional compression meaning that you know however you feel is fine but you can't always show the extent of your emotions because it could make other people uncomfortable you know so for instance if you know if i if a kid loses a soccer game right he's on a soccer team and he loses a game and at the end of the game he screams at the other players and says you know you guys suck that was unfair right that is something that makes others uncomfortable you know other how kids you, yeah how you teach that because i'm 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 thinking right now of like my I'm, it sounds like you work with older kids i'm just thinking of my seven-year-old who will lose a game and he he's been known to say you know scream out we you know we we try to tell him it's not appropriate but it definitely sets some coaches off and the other teammates off and how do you how do you teach that <laughs> yeah so actually the example i was just giving i was thinking of an eight-year-old i work with okay, okay who is super competitive and has a really hard time with losing so we have to do a few different things. We have to work on front loading with him. So when he goes to a game, you know, his mom or dad has to remind him, look, there's a 50-50 chance you're going to lose here, okay? And if you lose, that's okay. And you have to use emotional compression, meaning however upset you are or however mad you are is fine, but you have to use your brain coach to say, I can't show how upset or how mad I am because other people might think that I'm being a poor loser, you know, or a poor sport, or I might make the other guys on my team uncomfortable. You know, so, so it's a lot of, you know, with, with parents, I also want them to develop the language and, and know how to apply these things as well, because, you know, if this is happening in the moment, right, they, they need to be able to say, Hey, you need to use emotional compression right now, you know, and, and really it's just that it's like anything else in life. It's a process of doing it over and over. And, you know, and I, the other thing I teach kids is that you're going to mess up sometimes and that's okay. You know, because that's, we all mess up sometimes and that's part of learning. Um, so what do you, like, how do you tell a kid emotional compression? Like, is there like a technique you use to help them learn it, to feel it? Like, um, yeah, well, there's a few things. So one, I think, you know, we have to develop a, a sense of, you know, sensory awareness. So what is being upset feel like in your body to you? You know, what is feeling angry feel like in your body to you? Okay. How do you know when you're starting to, to feel that, you know, what's the first kind of sign you notice physically of what's going on with you, you know? Right. So that's, so that's the first piece. And, you know, and then from there, it's, it's really saying that, okay, well, now that you're feeling that, you know, or you're feeling yourself starting to get upset, what should your brain coach say to you at that moment? It, you know, and, and that's the whole idea with this is, is to help develop that self-directed talk. You know, and one of the things I should mention is that Dr. Russell Barkley, who's kind of the godfather of ADHD, so to speak, um, you know, I, I think he's phenomenal, but there's one thing I disagree with him with. There's a few things I disagree with him with. <laughs> one is one is that he, do, he doesn't believe in teaching self-directed talk because it's not there. But it is there because, you know, think about this. Kids with ADHD, they can hyper-focus on things that are interesting to them, or they can persevere through something if there's an incentive, right, a near an incentive coming up. So they do have a degree of self-directed talk. It just varies from individual to individual and by age. Totally. And so you're figuring out, you basically have to figure out their motivation and then work with that. Yeah. And, and look, I mean, if they're socially motivated, you know, what, what I really kind of tie this into is not, is not about teaching, you know, you can't, you know, yell at people because that's unexpected. What I want to teach is that if you're yelling at other kids and if you're not using emotional compression, it's going to be harder for other guys your age to want to be around you you know, and we want him, right. That's what I tell, I tell my seven-year-old, I'm like, he's so socially motivated, and he, when he says bad words, and he screams, and does things, I'm like, um, you want to go to your friend's house, and have play dates, and have sleepovers? It's not going to happen. <laughs> right. 
Right. And, and I'll tell you, for his age, you know, really what I focus on for younger elementary school is on reciprocal play. Because the way you develop social and executive function skills naturally is through unstructured play that adults are not directing. And then as kids get older, as through, through hanging out. You know, that's how we all develop these skills. So for younger guys, you know, really what I want to do is help them be more flexible in play. So what I'll do a lot with kids like the, you know, the eight-year-old who I just mentioned is we'll play games and I will get him frustrated on purpose because I want, I want him to become kind of dysregulated so I can kind of teach in the moment. So we might be playing something and I will not be cooperative with him <laughs> to the way he wants, you know, because, right, because really that's what this is about. It, it's teaching in the moment when you know, you, you've kind of feel this coming on. And I think a really important thing for parents to understand is that kids can't learn when they're emotionally dysregulated, you know? Oh. Right. So there's no point in trying to, to teach this when kids are upset, you know, when kids are upset or dysregulated, they need us to be a calming presence. And then after they're calm, we can talk about this, you know, and then we can say, so what could your brain coach told you in that situation? You know? Um, yeah. So, Right. We have the problem. We can't go back and talk about it. He's too embarrassed. Yeah. So that's, you know, one of the things is I'm sure you guys have heard the term uh, rejection sensitive dysphoria. Um, that's kind of a, a term in the ADHD world now, meaning that people with ADHD, they tend to feel, you know, um, insulted easily or feel rejected easily. But I kind of expand upon that. And what I say is that kids with ADHD, they live in emotions and they feel emotions stronger. Okay, so what happens is when they feel like they've messed up, the sense of shame that comes with that is really significant. So what my belief is that we really have to kind of teach them that, you know, to mess up is human and there's nothing to be ashamed of, you know, and I think that's just so important for parents to understand because when you feel ashamed of, you know, your, your actions, it's hard to move on from there. So you know, it's just super interesting that I'm thinking about. So I, have one of one of my kids well I have a couple but um one of my kids I always felt like whenever something was wrong and he needed to understand that his actions you know were not positive or should have been handled differently it was always like the crime and the punishment didn't fit because no matter how whatever it was he was always so much more upset than your average kid about the feedback part or the consequence to the behavior. And so for me, it was always like, I don't know how to deal with this because what he did wrong and what we're trying to do, like the extreme with the emotions was so huge that we couldn't quite get it back in sync to even have a good learning experience from it. And then it rolls into shame. And then, then you can't even go back and talk about it anymore. Right. Right. So, you know, one of the things is I think that, you know, and I can say I am definitely guilty of this. You know, one of the things I didn't mention is I'm the father to a now 22 year old son um, who does not is not diagnosed with ADHD. One, it was one of his original diagnoses. But, um, you know, my son was really challenging when he was younger and is still challenging sometimes as a 22 year old. And one of the things that I would often do was I would try to right, kind of have a talk about things before he was ready and before he was completely calm. And that would then start getting him escalated again. You know, one of the things that, look, you know, I, I teach parents is and I teach kids, I should say, is that it's OK if you mess up. It's OK if you yell at somebody, if you say something hurtful, but you need to clean it up. And I use that term clean it up to say, you know, this is your way of being accountable to others by apologizing or, you know, doing something nice for them to show that you're thinking about them and you want to make up for, for what happened, you know. And, and what I say is that, you know, beating ourselves up is, you know, doesn't help change things, but showing somebody else or showing somebody that you've wronged that you're thinking about them, that's what does help. Yeah, that's, I mean, I think that's, it's, so interesting to hear the way that you're explaining this because I feel like what really happens, at least for me, is it becomes all crazy emotions by everyone, right? So these kids go out there and sometimes they say the wrong thing or they do the wrong thing. And I feel like a lot of times they don't even know. They have no idea. And then all of a sudden they have no friends or people are rejecting them and they don't even know why they're getting rejected. So then they act out even more um because of the whole process of feeling awkward and you just watch it snowball right 
Right. And I think to your point, you know, one of the things is that, you know, a lot of kids, and I should have mentioned this before, a lot of kids with ADHD who have difficulty with perspective taking, they don't realize how they're coming across to others. Yes. So one of the things that moms will say to me a lot is, you know, they'll say, well, my son doesn't think he, he needs help, you know, and I'll say, of course, he doesn't think he needs help because he doesn't understand how he's coming across to others. You know, he doesn't understand why nobody's inviting him over, right, is because of his behavior, you know, or, or the way he's interacting with, with kids. You know, so, so really what I think from, you know, a young age we have to do is teach kids that, you know, people have thoughts different than yours, you know, and we have to help, you know, we have to help kids understand others' thoughts. One of the things that I, um, I'm started to teach now is I teach that, you know, people can have three different kinds of thoughts about you. I say they can have clutch thoughts, meaning they're feeling comfortable around you. They want to be around you. Clutch is like a, a sports term. Um, you know, they can have neutral thoughts, meaning that they're aware you're there, but they're not really thinking about you. And most people go through life having neutral thoughts about you, or people can have cringy thoughts about you, meaning people can feel uncomfortable around you. So, you know, I, I want to, and what I teach is that, you know, somebody's thoughts are based on the situation and what you, you know, should or shouldn't be doing in that situation. But more importantly than that is, you know, people are going to have a reaction to you based on their thoughts, and then you're going to feel a certain way based on their reaction. And I think that's what you're speaking to. Yeah. I mean, I yeah. think like I've watched some of these boys specifically that my kids, you know, whether it's my kid or even friends or acquaintances burn through friends, right. um, especially in elementary school and like middle school. And it's because they just don't get it, right? They're not, they're not playing nice on the playground or they're doing things to isolate themselves um, and, or potentially hurt others. And they just, they don't get it and they don't understand why they're you know, losing friends. And, and it's not, they can't change their behaviors on their own because they're just not aware. And, um, and a lot of it happens in the moment on the playground or in school. And there aren't really parents or teachers that are there to help provide the right coaching and support. And so these kids are on their own. And by the time they realize, you know, kind of what's happened, they're teenagers and, and, you know, some of their reputation, they have a reputation now. Right. And so yeah. unwinding that has got to be super difficult. Well, there's two things I want to say about what you mentioned. I'm glad you brought this up. You know, the, the first thing is that I say for all the guys I work with, the hardest periods of the day in school for them are recess, number one, and number two, gym class. Yeah, you know, it's, un it's unstructured enough, right? They right. don't have enough. It's there's too. They have too much control. <laughs> right, right. And you know, one of the things is that you know sometimes I'll see kids with with you know aids during recess, which I really don't like because the aids hovering over them, you know, and that's not helpful either. Um, you know, but that's 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 rare. But I think you know the other thing I want people to know is there's kind of three entry points I say to when we see kids struggle socially. The first is second grade, because, you know, developmentally, that's when kids start to realize, you know, not everybody's my friend. I like him. I don't like her. He's weird. She's mean to me, you know? <laughs> so that's the first point. The second point is fifth grade, because in fifth grade, particularly the second half of fifth grade, is when kids start to kind of form into, into groups a little more, and social expectations really start to go up then. So that's kind of the second entry point. The third being sixth grade, obviously, which is, you know, the beginning of middle school for, for most kids. Um, just one other thing I want to mention about this is, you know, if anybody, if their, you know, if their child has an IEP and about, so, you know, anything relating to social skills or a 504 plan, there will often be something in that that says, you know, Josh will sit near a positive peer role model. And I want people to understand you don't develop better social skills by being around kids with more developed social skills. In other words, you don't pick up social skills by osmosis, right? <laughs> but the you schools know. think you do. Come on. Of course they do. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and think about it this way. You know, if you, if you struggle socially, it's because, you know, like I mentioned, you didn't develop these skills intuitively. You're not, you would have picked them up already from the kids who you're around, right? Yeah. So you don't, you don't develop better social skills by being around kids with more developed social skills. You have to learn these things that haven't developed intuitively for you. I always wonder if, um, if they're putting them there because they think they're going to learn something or they're putting them there to keep them quiet near the person who, you know, they don't want to put too many of these kids together because then that gets super uh, annoying and disruptive to the class. So instead of, they're not trying to learn, they're just trying to keep them quiet next to the good student. <laughs> Well, I think it's also wishful thinking that they think that the kid will just kind of start acting like the kid sitting, you know, the kid sitting next to them who has better self-regulation. Yeah, totally. Right. They're, they're not, you know, they're not even thinking about the fact that this has to do with brain development. 
So can I ask you another sort of a little bit off topic, but what's your opinion on ADHD and lying? Because that comes up a lot. Um, or it seems to, I hear a lot of parents talking about, and we've experienced some of this about that, you know, not telling the truth. And I always, part of me always wonders, is that um, something that they're really cognitively aware of, or is it something that they're doing because they're trying to cover up something embarrassing or that they forgot, or I don't know, I don't know what. Yeah. So I think the first thing is that, you know, kids with ADHD, because they have difficulty with future thinking skills, they're not anticipating a consequence for their action, right, or their behavior. So they may lie about something, not thinking, oh, this is going to get me in trouble 10 minutes from now, right? They're not thinking about that. So then what happens is a lot when they get caught, then they feel ashamed and, you know, they can't, you know, it's hard for them to kind of think, okay, well, how do I clean this up right now? So often the lying then just kind of spirals, you know, and often spirals into an argument. No, I didn't. Yes, you did, you know. And I think what's really important for parents to understand is that, you know, you don't get into an argument about lying. Um, I want to share a story real quick. One of the boys who came to my camp one year, um, you know, when I first met him, his mother shared with me that he went to a therapist, you know, a self-proclaimed ADHD specialist. Um, and she, you know, she confronted him about lying about something. And this therapist just kept saying to him, I'll make up a name. I'll say, um, you know, Evan, she said, Evan, you have to tell the truth, you know, and she just wore him down until he started crying. You know, and, and I said to his mother, I said, I have to tell you, I don't think that's the way to teach him how to be accountable, right? Or teach him what the problem with lying is by breaking him down and shaming him, you know? So, so really with lying, what we have to do is just kind of take it as matter of fact and move on, you know, and, and, and say, and I think say to kids, okay, so you need to think about what do you need, what are you going to do to make things right here? You know, because we're disappointed with, with the choice you made. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and again, and not get into this back and forth about whether you lied or you didn't. Just accept that it happened. Well, and I think what you're saying is super important because um, you don't want to judge the person, right? It's, it, you use the, the word like your choice, it's a poor choice, right? You're, it's, it's a decision you're making. It's not necessarily who you are. And I think blaming them as if it's who they are is super wrong and painful. Yeah, I also think, you know, we have to put in the context of explaining that, you know, I understand your brain wasn't thinking in the moment whether it would be a good idea to lie or not, you know, but it happened. So now, you know, you have to clean it up. So as a parent, then, how do you recover from that? When you have a kid who's been sort of telling you these stories or behaving in a certain way, right? And you're the kind of parent who, you know, then you flash forward and you're like, I don't know if I can ever trust what they're saying. I'm not sure if it happened, if it didn't happen. And the, you know, they get older. How do you, what's your advice to parents out there who are on the receiving end of this all the time that may or may not have any support for it? Yeah. Well, the first thing I want to tell people is that, you know, our, our culture tends to look at ADHD related issues as character flaws. But whereas, you know, if a kid with ADHD does something, we tend to label them. They're, they're lazy, right? They're deceptive. They're oppositional. When a kid with autism does those same things, people will say, oh, well, that's his autism. You know, we, we, our society judges kids with ADHD much differently than kids with other neurodevelopmental challenges. So that's the first thing I want to mention. But to your question, I think, you know, just accept that this is part of the profile, right? And this has to do with the fact that they can't think ahead to the future yet, right? To really think, okay, this is going to get me in trouble, you know, or they can't problem solve in the moment. So one of the things that's something a lot of kids with ADHD struggle with is independent problem solving skills. You know, so if you struggle with that, you're most likely going to lie just to kind of get out of something as quick as possible. So I think the best thing a parent can do is, is accept this as part of the profile and not see it as a character flaw. Mm-hmm. Got it. I would so, think that's so hard. That's got to be so hard when you're coming in and out of trying to figure out, you know, you're raising, you're raising this child and, you know, you thought it was going to be one way and the years and the days, the days, the years, the weeks, whatever, the months pass by and and these behaviors are happening and you're in the moment and you're trying to figure out challenging. <laughs> how do I do this? Am I a good parent? Am I a bad parent? Am I, is something wrong with my child? What am I supposed to do to help them? How do I find the right resources? It's really hard. <laughs> yes. hard we also have the people around us that have the neurotypical kids who can say, well, my kids don't lie or if they lie they have this consequence and they don't do that again. Mm -hmm. and you feel yeah. like, well, maybe I should be doing better. Maybe I'm doing the wrong thing, even though you know 
Like in our case, a child that keeps stealing my iPads and hiding them in his room. Um, <laughs> right. Again and again and again, over yeah. and over and over again. Yeah. And I've done the nice thing. And then I've also gotten mad. I've gotten mad. Yeah. I just, I'm so, I get so tired of it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And look, I think the thing is, you know, in that, like, let's just use that as an example. Okay. Then, then maybe, you know, the iPad needs to be locked up and, you know, it's, and the discussion needs to be, you know, when you're, when your brain is at a point where you're able to ask me before you take it and not take it without asking, then, you know, we can do things a little differently, but we're going to have to wait till your brain is able to do that. You know? So notice that I'm taking it away from saying like, you know, you keep stealing and I'm putting it on brain development, you know? Right. And, and I, yeah, and I think that's that's helpful for kids too because, you know, again, if you keep stealing the iPad, it's because you're not thinking, there's two things. You're not thinking that I can get in trouble in the future, but you're also not thinking to the past, right, that I got in trouble for this before and I'm going to get in trouble with it again. You know, okay. the, the ADHD brain works in the moment, right? It's not great at applying information in the past and it's certainly not great at thinking <laughs> about the future. Right, right. I remember somebody told me this, and I think this is so true with kids with ADHD, is like, even if they're lying, it's not like a super manipulative lie because the way that their brains work is they don't have the executive function to plan ahead. They right. can't come up with this manipulatively creative plan. It's just their you know, brains- The lies are so basic, they're almost hysterical. And you're like, how <laughs> can you tell me? How, really? I'm looking at the sky right now. It's not black. <laughs> it's very blue. <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah. You know, the one thing I do want to mention about that, I see a lot of kids with ADHD who manipulate their parents. And one of the ways I find that particularly works with moms in particular is that kids will resort to making self-defeating comments. Sometimes that's genuine, right? Because they feel ashamed, but then other times kids learn, oh, well, if I just say I'm stupid, I hate myself, then my mom will suddenly switch from being mad to feeling sorry for me. Oh and my God, I... are you, you're describing my child. <laughs> <laughs> I've been doing this for a few years, so. <laughs> Is that just like, is that like a natural, you know, let me create more drama or something that my, my parents are going to worry about and then I'm totally off the hook. <laughs> let, let me make them feel bad that they already feel like they're awful parents. Let them, me make them feel yes. worse. Yes, right, right. <laughs> I'm hurt, I'm hurt. I pulled my leg. I get that a lot. Oh my oh, God, that I'm injured. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So I have a, um, can I shift um, gears? I want to ask you one other question and get you, your thoughts on this. As we tell one, our younger son that we should probably tell him both, but more with the little guy, um, that ADHD is his superpower because I feel like it is. Like, I think that he is, it's such a gift for him that he, he's a great athlete and he's really driven and he uses that hyper-focus and all that um, energy to, um, that he gets from the ADHD. It makes him, it's a, it's a gift. And do you use that at all? Or do you buy into that, that thought that it's a gift? Okay, so here's my thing. I personally don't use that. And I'll tell you why. Because I, I want kids to understand that, you know, if your brain makes certain things harder to learn, you're going to have to work at that. And I think when we say that ADHD is a gift, it kind of takes away from the fact that this is going to take some effort and really hard work on your part. But what I do tell kids is I say, you know, that there are many adults with ADHD who are incredibly successful. So you can put this to really good use one day, and I think you will, you know, and we just have to work on your brain getting better at these things so that one day when you're older, you can put all this, you know, this, your, you know, this right. hyper focus and your focus on details and the fact that you're so likable to really good use. Right. Like I, well, one of the things I say to him is he's got more difficult controls. Like you have the potential to go farther, but your controls are just a little bit harder to use. Yeah, so I say the same thing. I just talk about it in the context of brain development. Got it, okay. Yeah. So Ted, can you tell us a little bit about um, the logistics of your camp and how, you know, like how long, what's the, like how do you work with the kids? What's your goal for them, that kind of stuff? Yeah, so with the camp, um, kids come, you know, most kids come one week or two weeks. And uh, it's located right near where, where I live. So it's a, a beach town in New Jersey. So what we do is in the morning, the kids come in and we do a lesson. So the lesson can be something executive function related, nothing school. We do not talk about school during camp. Um, if, you know, so we'll learn things like, you know, how do you structure making lunch for yourself? Or how do we figure out how much time it's going to take to get to the different places we're going today? You know, so things like guesstimating time, you know, planning ahead, how do you structure, you know, doing things independently? 
Um, we'll work on social stuff. So, you know, what I call being like a social relator or an information informer. Social relator is somebody who shows interest in other kids, whereas an information informer just kind of talks at other people about their interests, you know. Um, so we'll do those kind of things in, in the morning and then we make lunch and then we go out for the day. So we'll do things like surfing lessons or, you know, we'll go to the one of the boardwalks around here, um, you know, or to a water park or bay kayaking, those kind of things. So really the idea is that the language that I'm teaching the kids and the concepts, you know, are integrated through the day. Um, and because really what I want kids to be able to do is have these concepts and have these concepts, you know, and have this language to use with it. You know, but also be doing it in a way that's fun and active, um, you know, as, as well, rather than just kind of, you know, having a class, you know, during during camp or, um, you know, or those kind of things. And I, and I will mention, you know, and I think, you know, that a lot of I've, I've seen a lot of kids who have gone to like executive function summer programs, academic programs to work on executive functioning. Um, and what I find is that the kids never remember what they learned and they don't apply it. Because who really wants to be sitting in like an office in the summer learning how to organize your school materials, right? When school is two months away. Yeah. Um, and you know, some these kids are living in the moment anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And look, some kids do. There's, there's a subset of kids with ADHD who are super academically motivated. Those tend not to be the kids I see. So, so the other thing with camp is I do it for, um, you know, there's some weeks that are for ages 11 to 13. And then some weeks are for, uh, you know, 14 and 15. So, so that's how I break it up. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And and so they walk, they come back to life with their this new vocabulary too. I would imagine. Yeah, that's the idea. Yeah, and so the parents have it as well. So I actually video, um, you know, I record all the lessons um, because I want the parents to be able to see it and refer back to the language I'm using, and I want the parents to understand the concepts. So is that similar to some of the stuff that you have on YouTube? Because I was having my boys watch your YouTube channel a little bit and check out some of the stuff you're doing. Yes, yeah, so I, I do, I have a bunch of lessons from camp on YouTube. Those are the longer ones, though, that most people probably wouldn't um, watch. But the videos I make for kids are in uh, the Dude Talk playlist. Um, so there's a general Dude Talk one, and then I have it broken down by elementary, middle school, and high school as well. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, and all my videos for kids, I try to do under two minutes because, you know, my crowd does not have the attention span <laughs> for, for yeah. more than that. Yeah. So another thing you mentioned earlier um, and it sounds like a lot of maybe some of these things that are happening have evolved over time because our kids are so scheduled. And so you refer to how they learn this playing outside and, you know, normal life and they tend to build those skills up and we don't really have much of that going on anymore. Yeah. So I want to, I want to actually tell you a story that I think is, is, you know, very relevant to what you just said. Um, you know, I had a mom call me sometime last spring and she said, so, you know, my son has ADHD. He was recently diagnosed. He was in, I think, fifth grade. Um, he went to, a, you know, a very prestigious private school. And she said, and he's been going to this therapist for several weeks. And I said, so what's the therapist doing with him? And, and she said, well, the therapist said they're just still getting to know each other. And I, and I said to her, I said, he doesn't need, you know, to talk, you know, to be in a therapist's office, getting to know somebody and talk about feelings every week. He needs to learn these skills that he's lagging, you know. So I referred them to one of my colleagues in the Philly area who works on executive functioning, um, you know, and, and I think that that kind of really speaks to many people's experience, you know, is that if you have lagging skills, you don't need to talk about, you know, feelings. You need to learn these skills and really have more of a practical application. Exactly. Right. Plus, with that, when that he's getting to know the therapist, how many hundreds of dollars is that costing? Exactly. Right. <laughs> exactly. I mean, come, let's be honest, this is an expensive um, thing to deal with sometimes. Yeah, it, it can be very expensive to deal with. Yeah. And, and really, you know, the thing that saddens me more than anything is when I see kids spend years, sometimes years in therapy, you know, and it's never been helpful for them or, you know, years in social skills groups and it's never been helpful for them. And, you know, what I tell people also, I want to mention that if, if somebody doesn't have a lot of resources in their area, and really, you know, if I can be honest, there's only a small handful of, around, of people around the country who I refer to. I'm sure there is good people, you know, in other places who I just don't know about. But most people really don't, you know, spend the time to kind of learn about ADHD. You know, I always say that ADHD is the joke of the mental health world. And if you do like a search on psychology today on find a therapist, you know, on their, their search site, you know, you'll see that most people have ADHD as one of their specialties, mm -hmm. you know, and I think that says a lot, Do you know what I mean, of, of how, 
of how little seriousness that ADHD has that, you know, people will say they specialize in it, but they don't really take the time to learn about it. So what I want people to do is, is I really want parents to kind of educate themselves um, you know, through through resources like like you know like this, um, through Attitude Magazine, through watching my stuff, um, because I I know that it's not easy to find help for most people. Right. So, do you have any um, books that you recommend that you like? I mean, there's so many books out there that Christy and I've read and talked about. Um, what are the are there any that you think are especially helpful? Yeah, so I think we'd have to break it up a little more by age group. Um, I do like uh, Dr. Barkley's books very much. So Taking Charge of ADHD is, is the one. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's really helpful. Um, you know, there's, he also has one called like Your, Your Defiant Child and Your Defiant Teen. I think those can, can be helpful as well. Um, you know, and I think for, you know, myself more, I, there's, there's more kind of resources that I like. So for instance, there's a program called Zones of Regulation that I think is particularly helpful for kids to learn emotional regulation skills when they're younger. Um, you know, social thinking is, is, you know, what I like in terms of, you know, helping kids learn social cognitive skills. Um, so, you know, people always, people constantly ask me, you know, do you have a certain book you can recommend or, you know, can you refer me to somebody in my area? And what I say about the books is it really kind of depends what you're looking for. Um, you know, because everyone's situation is so unique and so, you know, specific. Um, you know, the questions that I get through Attitude Magazine when parents submit questions for me to answer, a lot of them have to do with, with behavioral stuff. Um, you know, and, and I think that one of, you know, another resource that, that I like with behavior stuff is um, I like Ross Green's work. Um, yeah. So the one thing I will say about Dr. Green's work is I find a lot of parents take it out of context and take it a little too far. Um, because sometimes I find people think it means, well, you should never punish kids or there should never be consequences. And what I teach is that, you know, in the real world, somebody's not going to say to your son if he gets in trouble, oh, here's a plan B worksheet. Let's do some collaborative problem solving, <laughs> right? There's, there's consequences in the real world for behavior, and, and, and we need to keep that in mind. But I think it's a really, I think his, his work, um, collaborative, or what's it called now, Co- uh, collaborative and proactive solutions is, is a really good tool for parents to learn. And I think the foundation of it is really good. Yeah, I, love I that. really enjoyed reading his books um, and kind of going through and highlighting the things that I feel like are appropriate in my world versus, you know, taking it all to be your new Bible. Right. Uh, the other book I really like is called uh, He's Not Lazy. Oh, you know, oh. I have a book. Maybe I will use this <laughs> actually finally read it. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a great one as well. That's super interesting. Yeah. That, that brings up the whole book? lazy procrastination subject that ties along with all this. (laughs) Exactly. Right. Right. And you know, one, I think just one, if I can make one comment about that real quick, one of the things I teach parents is, you know, we have to help kids move away from being prompt dependent to more independent because so much of, of what parents do is acting as their kids executive functioning. And I can't tell you how many kids I've seen who have gone off to college and sometimes prestigious colleges and they're home by November. Um, because their parents got them up for school every day, you know, and their parents did everything for them and they just focused on grades and they kind of thought magically they'll be fine when they went away to college. And then they go away to college and they fall apart because they don't have the executive function skills or the independence to manage themselves, you know, independently. Yeah, totally. I mean, and I've sat next to parents at um, events that were sitting there editing their child's um, papers and they were in college at very prestigious schools and they were still helping them write their essays. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. It's embarrassing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I do, you know, I explain to parents that the more you do for your child or the more you, you know, might unintentionally enable their learned helplessness that further inhibits the development of executive functioning. Right. Yeah. If they're not learning, they're not going through their own little boot camp. Right, and they're not experiencing natural consequences if you're always saving them, right, from, from consequences. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, well, I think we need to wrap this up. It's been, uh, you know, fabulous. I mean, I could sit here and talk to you and listen to this. In fact, I could ro- enroll my whole house probably into your program. <laughs> Thank Super you. Super excited. <laughs> <laughs> um, is there anything, just to segue a little bit, is there any advice that you could give people given the situation that's going on right now about how to manage their, these kids that are bouncing off the walls while they're home? 
So I think the one thing is, you know, I like, and I'll tell you what I talked about with an eighth grader today is, you know, this is not vacation. We have to remind kids, this is not vacation time. This is still school time. And I think that, you know, having a structure is, is super important, making them get up at a certain time every day, you know, not giving unlimited screen time. Um, and I think also that things like screen time need to be earned for getting through these non-preferred tasks like schoolwork or chores or whatever they might be. And I think that really the most important thing though, I want to emphasize to parents is, you know, we're in this unique unprecedented time and I really want to encourage people to really kind of praise, um, you know, things that their kids are doing, um, you know, whether they're showing resiliency, you know, or they're, you know, doing work because kids with ADHD thrive on praise and encouragement. And I think the more we can point out what they're doing right, even it's really small things that we tend to not think we should praise kids for, the better off they're going to be and the more it's going to help them. Yeah, no, I think that's super important. I mean, you can see it right on their face when they want you to be jumping up and down about something that they've done that was really good, but you know about the 15 other things that maybe weren't so good. <laughs> exactly, yes. So, last night when I was putting my son to bed, I said to him, you know what, I know this is really hard. Tomorrow I'm really going to try to praise you more for what you're doing right, just in taking in how hard this is right now instead of letting my own nerves get in the way. Right, exactly. Yeah, that's great. I find like as a parent too, just admitting my weaknesses, because I screw up all the time, you know, I mean, to try to switch gears between three different kids with three different, you know, emotional needs and try to follow some of the advice that you've brought up. It's really hard to stay in that present moment and remember those things. And sometimes, you know, you just, you're human, you do the wrong thing. But I try to instantly be like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. It flew out of my mouth. Absolutely. I I kind of feel like that at this moment, but that's not really the big picture. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Please forgive me. It's just like (laughs) what you did five minutes ago. (laughs) Right, right. So yeah, it's look, it's really hard to sometimes praise kids and, and give encouragement and recognize small things they did when we're holding on to stuff. You know, and and you know, and I I guess my thing I always say is, is it gonna matter in a day from now? You know, yes or no. no. Right, exactly. You know, we're dealing with too much stuff on a day-to-day basis to, you know, to, to hold on to things. That's my feeling. Yeah, no, totally agree. Yeah. Um, Ryan, do you want to tell folks how to find you? We will also put all the information on our Facebook and Instagram page and Twitter, but do you um, have any links or any resources that you want to share with everyone? Yeah, so everyone is welcome to join my uh, Facebook group, which is uh, ADHD Dude. Um, YouTube, if you just type in ADHD Dude, you'll find my channel. Um, and if they want to check out my website or camp website, they can just go to ADHDDude.com. And there's also a uh, link there for the camp website, which is summertripcamp.com. Awesome, great. Well, thank you so much. We really, really appreciate it. Rachel and I love following you and seeing all your posts. And Oh, um, thank you. And I have friends around the country who have asked me if I've, been following the ADHD dude. So it's (laughs) cool to finally get to talk to you sort of in person. (laughs) Yes, you too. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Oh, you're so welcome. Um, So everybody, if you want to follow us on Twitter, you can see us at Podcast Chaos and on our Facebook page at Constant Chaos Podcasts. Rachel and I are doing our best to try to keep in touch with everyone through this trying time, and we will continue to record as much as we can. Um, And thank you all for listening today. Have a great day. Thanks so much.